0: In some familiar ground this month, Luke chapter 1 and 2, as we consider great good news of great joy. You're standing in that doubly, miserable, cold rain, the kind that flies sideways because of the wind and is especially cold because it's like 38 degrees outside. You're on the side of the road, getting soaked and frozen, staring at a tire that blew out. The day was already a mess. Well, the whole season has been. You were rushing from work, a place that's filled with tension, anxiety, because of changes and struggles and interpersonal frustrations, and you left in a hurry because your dad, who you have a complicated relationship with, is in the hospital with who knows what issue, And you and your siblings have been squabbling over who gets to care for this one. Meanwhile, you've been trying to make those family holiday plans, but no one seems to care enough to cooperate, and your kids have been especially hard because they have stuff going on in their lives, and they routinely take it out on you. And you're about to cuss at the flat tire when you open the trunk and realize that there's a gallon of milk left in there from the grocery trip three days ago, and one of your kids didn't do his job of unloading. Good news of great joy? Or maybe you're tired of walking through a bustling high school surrounded by all kinds of people who seem to have all kinds of friends and do all kinds of fun things, and you go largely unknown, unnoticed, uninvited. Good news of great joy? Or maybe this week is impossible to finish because this is your second miscarriage. It's only been three years of marriage, but why has there been so much hurt, so much loss, so much pain? Good news of great joy. This is your first Christmas without your spouse. She died in March, but it feels like yesterday. Good news of great joy? Let's be honest, this is a hard season for many of us. There's a lot that goes on in life, and a lot of what goes on in life is hard and harsh. And then the chaos of this season, the joy that seems to be happening around you, but not to you or with you, Only accents the problem and the hard and the harsh. And so we come into a room like this and we see these words, joy, all over the place. And you think, really? Really? I don't have a whole lot of that. You notice the title of the series is Good News of Great Joy? Question mark. We want to take time to go over familiar ground, not on a nostalgic trip, but go over familiar ground because there is incredible news of incredible joy for very broken, hurting, lost, aimless, wandering souls like ours, ones that are overlooked and overbooked. There is profound joy, even as life is hard and harsh. So I hope these familiar passages, God does a profound work of joy in you in the midst of your situation, your circumstances, and your struggles. Because math tells me that we have quite a few of us that are struggling, quite a few of us who are overwhelmed, quite a few of us who long for something, may we find that in the good news of great joy, the depth and wonder of it. This morning, I want us to consider this old couple, childless, lived a long life barren. I want us to identify with them and then see the wonder of the joy that comes because God is God. So as we wrestle with this idea of joy this Advent season, we need to take time to think about life before the joy. Before the joy We must grasp a number of things, and we're going to see that in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life and their story, and it's going to to dovetail closely to ours. We're going to see some things here, the context that comes before the joy. We're We're going to need to take time to understand what was really going on on the scene in Luke chapter 1 and 2 to real people in real situations that were not really all that good, And yet, incredible news comes to them and through them. So we're going to get a handle on the context. Then we're going to see the circumstances for our joy. The circumstances for our joy aren't tied to the changes, necessarily, to the circumstances of our lives. They're tied to something bigger, more profound, grander. This incredible story that Ruth had said about, led off our morning together. Circumstances of this incredible story that God is doing are the circumstances for our joy. And then, thirdly, we're going to see very raw reality the challenges to our joy, the challenges that we have to our joy in the now. So, let's jump in together. The context before our joy. Let me just say it as it was the context before Zechariah and Elizabeth's joy was one of barren hopelessness. It was barren and hopeless. Their context was barren and hopeless. Note a couple of things about this. First, the situation. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Luke chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Barren, that means not able to conceive. That means Elizabeth, her body was not able to do what it was designed to do. A word that conveys a lifeless void. Barren, a word that conveys emptiness like a desert, no life, not able to fulfill what you were created to do. And the wake of that is a broken, sad emptiness. And not only barren, but hopeless. They were advanced in years. Practically speaking, this wasn't something that they were hopeful for. This wasn't something they were anticipating. Life had run its course. This is their situation They are childless, and they don't see that changing. The window for their normal hope of expectation for children has definitely passed. That is their situation. But their situation is harder than just that because it carries with it a stigma. A stigma that is sort of draped over, particularly Elizabeth. Elizabeth is identified by what she can't do. Luke 1, 24 and 25. After the news of this angel speaking to Zachariah, and it, it sort of came about, after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take, note this, to take away my reproach among people. You know what reproach means? means blame and shame. Elizabeth's life among the people was filled with blame and shame. The people blamed her for their childlessness and shamed her for it. She just lived under the sort of societal shame of not having a kid. And then look... Further into Luke, as the angel is speaking to Mary, he says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. The angel, a messenger from God, is saying to Mary, You know who, the one who's called barren? That's Elizabeth's identity. Lived every day with that reproach. Do you think her life was easy, jovial? She felt emptiness on the inside and shame from the outside. Every day was a reminder of something broken, something incomplete, something wrong in her. That's the situation. And that's the stigma that carried with it. And then there's a third problem. Here, silence. There they are in their old age. You don't think for a minute that they didn't plead and cry out to the Lord for life, for restoration in Elizabeth, that they would be able to conceive and have children. You not think for a minute that in their long years together they didn't cry out that God would be enough for them? When they felt weak and vulnerable to doubt in the stigma, do you not think that they cried out to God, strengthen us in this, so that we can serve you and make much of you? And yet, silence. Silence for them personally, but also silence for them as a people. Not only was it silence for them in their own little family unit, husband and wife, but their entire people group sat under silence. They would wake up every day, go about their lives, and more and more and more of Rome was invading into their culture. There was a fake king, Herod, established by Rome, ruling over, taxing them, Just the the, the ever-increasing presence of something that wasn't the way that God designed for them. God seemed far, awfully far too quiet. The context before joy is barren and hopeless. It is a context that you and I need to know. We need to know the feeling of being unable to do anything about the barren, hopeless context of our lives. The context before our joy helps us see that we are powerless to do anything about the brokenness in our lives. Have you ever felt like the situation you are in produces a stigma you can't shake? Have you ever prayed for that stigma to leave only to feel silence on the other end? Have you, ever, have you ever felt like your life is barren and hopeless and that you are unable to do anything about it? And have you ever ached in your soul over the brokenness in your life? Have you ever ached are you aching right now this is reality don't hide it don't dress it up in church clothes don't pretend this is reality life is filled with this stuff and if it hasn't been your story give it a minute it will be Let's not run from that. Life can be disappointing. But what will that produce? That's an important question to ask as we consider the context before the joy. What will that context produce in you? We started our service off asking and pleading that we would come and we would worship and that we would sing and that we would have hearts turned to God that we would not Harden our hearts. Will the situation or the stigma or the silence in your life, will it harden your heart or will it drive your heart to God? This is a question for us to wrestle with. We could be bitter. We could blame God. We could live a hard, harsh, lonely life. Or we could learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth who lived in the hard situation, who carried with themselves a stigma, who understood silence, and yet, what does the Bible describe them as? Devoted to the Lord. Walking blamelessly in Him. Being used by God to help other people come to worship Him. They didn't just sweep their stuff under the rug and pretend all was right. They served in the midst of their ache. Because they saw God was greater than that which brought that ache. Now, that's the context before our joy. One that we should be readily available to admit. That is probably the context of our lives in some fashion or another. That there is something of an ache in our souls something of an ache in our lives. There's this incompleteness, this emptiness. And no matter how many things we chase, it just doesn't seem to fill it. And just when we think it will be that thing, will, will that sense of comfort or that ease of pain or that relationship restored will bring a, a fulfillment uh, to that ache, and it doesn't, then we are left with disappointment or confusion. In three weeks' time or so, you'll be gathering around with your family and presents will be opened up. And whether your age or stage in life, I'm sure there will be a little one somewhere nearby excited about the boxes and the wrapping and the bows and all of that, right? As they shred through that, at least that's our experience in the carpenter household, as they shred through that, getting to the thing inside the box, there's a particular stage in age, where the thing in the box is less impressive than the box. Right? And you just want to start giving boxes for Christmas. Yeah. We can chase after something, expect it to give, to deliver what we want it to deliver, and yet it just falls short. That's before the joy. Now let's. Keep that in mind as we then see the circumstances for our joy. The circumstances for our joy, really it's one. It's the circumstance for our joy, and it's God. God has promises and purpose. God made a promise and a purpose. So all of a sudden, Zechariah going about his business, he happened to be picked to be the guy who goes in and does the, the temple work on that time, that day. And as he is doing that work, an angel bursts onto the scene, bursts onto the scene, bringing this promise. The last words from God to his people were 400 years ago. They're found in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Here they are. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. God's last words before 400 years of silence is I'm going to send somebody who's going to prepare the way. Prepare the way. Then Gabriel, the messenger from God, bursts into time and space with a word from God, picking up where God left off In verses 16 and 17, he says, And he, this son that you are going to have, will turn many of his children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the Father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. There is a promise that God is doing a work, turning hearts, Preparing a way because he has got a big plan coming into place. Imagine the shock of Zechariah in that moment. I mean, angels showing up in the Bible were so otherly that there was usually one of two responses. People fell down in fear because this was a being that was unlike them. Or they fell down in worship because, because this being was so unlike them, they thought it was God. And so here we see... A bewildering, terrifying moment when Gabriel appeared bringing news of God's promise. God's not forgotten. The days of silence are over. Ruth had mentioned Christmas movies and one that I particularly love is really based off of an incredible novel, novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's a little tag... It goes along throughout the story. Mr. Beaver says it. Aslan is on the move. Aslan, the lion, picture of Christ is on the move. The context of Narnia was it's always winter and never Christmas. I hear that's also the context of New England. (laughs) Always winter and never Christmas. Kids, think about that for a moment. If you wanted to design hell and you let a eight year old draw it up, it probably would be always winter, never Christmas. What a horrible place. Barren, hopeless. But Aslan is on the move, and the ice is melting. The water is running that scene there with Gabriel and zechariah is 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 a scene similar to that. Something is happening. Something is going on now. something different has come, and this promise is marked and announced and, and, and is couched. And the idea that it would be one of great joy. Note what Gabriel says. You will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at His birth. The nature of the good news of God's promise will bring joy and gladness. And God's promise includes specific people. And while God was about to do something Very big. He didn't forget about this couple. He heard their prayers and they are answered. He cares for specific people. Not one of His people live their days or their lives out without His care. He hears. He knows. He is on the move. It is a promise of great joy in the midst of hard and harsh context it's not just a promise though it's also a purpose a purpose ultimately redemption was coming a great rescue plan was was moving into fruition rescuing people from their sin the son that Zechariah and Elizabeth would would grow up to preach and to call people to turn from their sin by turning to God. He would prepare the hearts of the people for the coming of the Savior. He would see, hear, and announce Jesus is the one who will take away your sin. God is on the move. God is on the move. The context that our lives sit in in this world, are one it's, it's the context of us being unable to do anything about it. But the circumstances for our joy is this. God does something about it. God does something about it. You see, you and I, we are to identify with Zechariah and Elizabeth so that we realize that while we are unable to do anything about our barren hopelessness and brokenness, God is. The circumstances for our joy are found in God alone. God who promises to undo what is broken. God who purposed to rescue sinners. God who planned redemption before he said, let there be light. God who has not forgotten, even though the years feel silent. You see, our joy isn't to be tied to our circumstances changing necessarily, but to the God who hears our prayers, who sends His Son, who bursts into our lives, and who has not forgotten us. Some of our souls ache deeply because the context and circumstances of our lives are hard and harsh. The only balm to a soul that aches is found in the good news of a great joy of a God who is on the moon. While we ask good news of great joy, we must also answer, yes, good news of great joy. Now, the context and the circumstance lead this Lead us to see then the challenges that we face to our joy. And the challenges that we face to our joy are just life and unbelief. Zechariah responds to Gabriel, that angel, that messenger of the Lord, probably about the same way we would. What? <laughs> Say, what? Luke 118, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. He's saying, life doesn't work that way, angel, dude. Zechariah initially responds as a realist, but that realistic approach is marked with doubt, a doubt that would be given a challenging lesson. Look at verses 19 and 20. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold... You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled in their time. Life and unbelief are always variables at work against our joy. Zechariah spent the next nine months unable to speak. In a couple of weeks, we're going to come back to Zechariah in our Advent series. We're going to come back to then what he does speak when those nine months are up. But for nine months, he was unable to speak. Life can be hard, but unbelief can be debilitating. Situations and stigma and silence can seem so overwhelming that we are unable to see the God over it all, working out His good purposes. And that ache that many of us have in this life, when it is married to unbelief, it leads us then to the path and door of despair. We go about despairing life, because the ache and our unbelief have led us there. And so some of us here know this despair and we feel it this season. We stop longing for hope. We are empty, calloused. We have hearts that have dried out with unbelief. That's a challenge. Life is hard and unbelief lives in our hearts. So I want to encourage you And myself this morning with this simple but profound point of application. Take God at His word. Take God at His word. The greatest ache of the human soul is not loneliness, it's not isolation. It's not the pain brought on by the sinful actions of others. It's not the stigma with our particular struggle. It's not the ache of the unrelenting harshness of life. The greatest ache of the human soul is the brokenness of fellowship with God brought on by our sin. It is the rejecting of God and the rebelling against Him that produces the greatest ache any of us and every one of us in here have felt. There can be no joy with this ache. It is an ache that fuels all the other aches that we feel. My heart for you this year... Is that you would take God at His word, and that you would understand the good news of great joy is that God has overcome the greatest ache of the human soul, the ache that fuels all other aches. God has overcome that ache in the gospel of His Son, in the coming of His Son, taking on skin and bones and humanity, living out this life, living out that life in this broken, hard, harsh world, experiencing the stigma and the silence, experiencing the pain of loss and betrayal, experiencing the ache of death who who took all of it on so that you and I would never know the ache of full, final, forever separation from God, but rather the overwhelming joy of full, final, forever acceptance with God and fellowship with Him for all eternity. That ache is the greatest ache that every one of us in here has. And that ache God has done away with in His Son, Jesus Christ. That is good news of great joy for all of our achy souls and bones. Now, it doesn't mitigate or take away all of the challenges of this life. You will face those I am not promising that. That those will just simply go away. And maybe that stigma stays with you as long as you have breath in your lungs. And maybe you will feel like God is silent to your prayers. But you who are in Christ, know that maybe your days will be hard and harsh. Your hard, harsh days Days will give way to that one great and glorious day when your king returns and says, you are mine and I am yours and we will be together for all eternity. And I will make all things new and all of those situations and all of those stigma and all of that silence will be no more. That is good news of great joy. Because God is the source of our joy, you and I, we can trust Him in all our circumstances. Friends, I don't know all the situations, stigma and silence you have known and felt. I know that it is real for you. I know that life and unbelief Wage a war on your soul, and I know you ache. This month, I want you to wrestle with good news of great joy. It's not a cheesy meme or a t-shirt. It's real. It comes in the context of hard situations, harsh stigmas, and hopeless silence. But may we together know the great joy that comes from this good news. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would indeed help us to know the good news and the joy, this great joy that comes from it. You would do a good work in our souls that ache, and you would help us to see the measure of your care for us in the gospel of your son, Jesus, that we would know that even the aches that we feel in this life can feel overwhelming. No ache is greater than the one of our sin, and you have cared for it. And so, God, may we rest in You. May we find joy in You and what You have done for us in Christ. And may that give us strength for our lives in the here and the now as we face situations and stigmas and silence. May we do so devoted to You, walking blamelessly following You, believing You, trusting You, because You are our source of joy. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. One more song. I love the song Glorious Day because we could literally sing it every week. Whether it's Christmas, Easter, Memorial Day, New Year's Day, a sermon about Revelation, a sermon about Genesis, it doesn't matter. It's all here. So let this song just be our reminder of of this fantastic, fantastic story.